Hello, world. What you knowing? Let's get the East of England growing. Sustainably, of course. I'm Mike Rigby, and this is Eastern Promise. Yes, welcome to Eastern Promise, the podcast that explores the full potential of the East of England and shares the good news all over the world. We're chasing the Sunrise Coast this week. That's Suffolk and Norfolk Research and Innovation on the Sustainable Energy Coast, to be exact. Ian Pease is the All-Energy Business Manager for Generate, a partnership of business and political leaders from Suffolk and Norfolk that's driving forward the development of the East of England's renewables industry. I'll be talking to Ian about the huge potential of the region's zero carbon and renewable sector. And finally, is your local high street a quality street? Let's find out together by unwrapping the nutty green triangle of local knowledge that is crowd sorcery. Let's get you up to speed with all the news that's fit to say aloud. First of all, Chris Sargison, CEO of Dis Thetford and District Citizens Advice, has reached out to remind us that, as a trusted, relevant and qualified charity, the Dis Thetford and District Citizens Advice seeks to improve people's lives, support local communities and enhance the Norfolk economy by providing high-quality advice to anyone who goes to them. They are accredited, impartial and free! Highly trained volunteers and specialist advisors are available in person and digitally on the high street and in multiple outreach locations to support clients for as long as is necessary. You are not simply referred and forgotten. A cost-of-living emergency has been declared by a collective of more than 100 Norfolk organisations offering advice and welfare support amid the national economic woes. The challenge is to rapidly gear up to this ever-increasing demand. So, a major volunteer business support recruitment programme is underway to address the loss of volunteers during the pandemic, specifically seeking those with local community awareness and language skills. Volunteering isn't just face-to-face support. Business can provide enormous help from fundraising for services to donations to community events. There will be a free event next week at the Corn Hall in Dis, a wonderful building I know very well indeed. It's at 2pm on Thursday the 17th of November 2022. Uh, Officially, it's the Dis Thetford and Districts AGM, but it's also a general update, a networking opportunity, and most importantly, a campaign launch that seeks business owners, leaders, and representatives of local groups who might consider supporting this Thetford and District Citizens' advice in the months to come in all manner of interesting ways. To find out more, 
go to www.cadat.org.uk forward slash annual dash general dash meeting dash 2022 dash invite dash off and find out more. I wish Chris and all the team at the Disthetford and District CA a very successful event. Please do go along and see what support you can lend. They are a very worthwhile cause and they do magnificent work. And if you want to hear more from Chris talking about the importance of citizens' advice, go to the Eastern Promise feed on your podcast provider of choice or go to easternpromise.podbean.com and listen to my interview with him at the Unthank Arms. That's where I interviewed him. You you don't need to go to the Unthank Arms to listen, though it is thoroughly recommended. Westminster Wonderment now, and following the launch of its enterprise strategy earlier this year under new CEO Ros Bird, Anglia Innovation Partnership, the organisation that manages the Norwich Research Park, welcomed Jerome Mayhew, MP for Broadland, to the park at the end of October. During his visit, Mr Mayhew learned about the development and promotion of the research park's credentials as a location for high-growth businesses. The Broadland MP also learned about the next phase of the park's expansion and received an update on the latest groundbreaking research being conducted across the park's four world-leading research institutes, the UEA and the Norfolk and Norwich University Hospital. That'd make a great pub question. Name the four world-leading research institutes on the Norwich Research Park. To return to the matter at hand, the AIP Enterprise Strategy aims to create a community ecosystem on Norwich Research Park that will support spin-out and spin-in companies and includes entrepreneurship schemes, an early-stage explorer fund and pre-seed funding plus seed funding. Seed funding. Sounds a lot like the John Innes Centre. Oh, I've given one away. Rosbird, for whom I have a colossal amount of time, said, I'm really pleased that Jerome was able to take the time to visit Norwich Research Park to see for himself the enormous potential we have here. Our growth plans are ambitious, but realistic. And we have in place an infrastructure proven to create the kind of environment where businesses can thrive. Having such a cluster of world-leading science and research that can be translated into viable businesses is too good an opportunity to miss. Amen to that. Mr Mayhew added, Norwich Research Park is a key part of the Norfolk economy and is of significant global importance for the science conducted here. I've been impressed by Rosie's ambition for the campus and Norwich Research Park has so many of the ingredients for success. I look forward to seeing the progress made by the team in delivering their vision and will make sure my colleagues in Westminster know all about the great work that is done here. Here, here, here. Finally this week, let's leap over to Lowestoft, where businesses on Waplode Road have brightened up a gloomy time for a local community organisation. Lowestoft-based, non-profit community organisation Reutilize now has a new lighting system thanks to neighbouring firms RMI Renewables and Anglia Electrical. Reutilize is a volunteer-led, not-for-profit, 
dedicated to diverting clean waste away from landfill by selling it on as art and craft materials. From their facilities in Wapload Road, Reutilize runs their scrap store and paint reuse network, offering a vast array of arts and craft products for sale at half price or less than the usual mainstream stores. They also offer a free mental health and well-being craft drop-in workshop every week, designed to improve mental well-being through developing hands-on skills in a creative, calming and soothing environment. Reutilize have helped local groups and charities refresh shared spaces and create colourful murals for the community, enabled people on a low income to redecorate their homes at low cost and provided employment, training and volunteering opportunities to build valuable skills and experience. RMI Renewables, an offshore wind service provider of specialist engineering services to local wind farms, had heard that the community organization's old lighting system had failed, which was making it almost impossible to carry out day-to-day -day tasks. RMI donated the new internal lighting system to reutilize, with support from fellow Wapload Roadie and electrical engineering company Anglia Electrical, who kindly donated their time to complete the installation of the lights purchased from Jason and Tom at Rexel in Great Yarmouth. Carol Dean, founder of Reutilize, said, We have been completely overwhelmed by the support and generosity from RMI and Anglia Electrical. Delivering these workshops with such poor lighting was so difficult, we would have had to leave doors open to try and let the light in from other areas. However, our new lights have made such an enormous difference. Here's to a bright future for Reutilize. You may be asking, how can you help reutilize? Well, you can donate money, cash, check or PayPal. Donate materials. If you're a business and you think you have scrap material that can be of use, please get in touch with them. You can donate time. If you have specific skills or just want to get involved, they'd love to hear from you. You can also donate stamps. They can reuse all stamps, new or used, first or second class, from any country. You can also sponsor a place on one of their workshops for someone who could not otherwise afford it. Well done, RMI and Anglia Electrical. And we'll be hearing more about the huge promise the wind industry has for Lowestoft in my chat with ENPs of Generate, just around the corner on Wild Street. If you want to know more about Reutilize, go to www.re-utilize.com. And that was the news direct from the Eastern Promise News Centre. You can get in touch and submit your stories to our dedicated news email, newsdesk at easternpromise.site. In the week I'm recording this episode of Eastern Promise, the COP27 climate conference opened in Sharm el-Sheikh in Egypt, with the urgent need to match warm words with firm action. In Ukraine, meanwhile, Russian President Vladimir Putin continues to weaponize energy, and here in the UK, the government is mulling over controversial new oil and gas licenses, as Just Stop Oil protesters are stepping up direct action. Other groups of climate change activists are available. Bleak though that may all sound, the East of England is very well placed indeed to offer solutions to these seemingly immense and intractable challenges, as well as sustainably growing our economy and regenerating our places. I journeyed over to 
to Orbis Energy in Lowestoft to meet with Ian Pease, All Energy Business Manager for Generate. And I began by asking him, what exactly is Generate? Generate is uh, our region's inward investment, uh, energy inward investment brand, and it's a partnership and, uh, of organisations, local authorities, including Great Yarmouth Borough Council, Norfolk County Council, Suffolk County Council, East Suffolk Council, and the New Anglia Local Enterprise Partnership, and works really closely with organisations like the East of England Energy Group, EGA, and other stakeholders in the region to really promote that energy opportunity to an international audience um, of potential investors to, to explore how uh, they, can, they can become involved and, and, and look at some of those opportunities on the, in the east of England. Because I know at the recent Southern North Sea conference uh, at the Norfolk Showground, I remember uh, chatting to Charles McDowell, who's representing the city of Virginia Beach, which is looking at putting a huge, colossal wind farm off their coast. Uh, but he was very clear that this is the region that uh, the US is looking to for, its te for the technology and for the expertise needed to assemble that wind farm. That must be a, a hugely uh, exciting opportunity. Well, it is, and we've worked with, with colleagues over at Virginia Beach um, for two or three years now. And uh, I guess what's interesting there is, is the expertise that we've built up in the Southern North Sea over many, many years in uh, not just offshore wind, but in, in gas and marine logistics, uh, all skills and, and capabilities that the UK can export to other parts of the world. And the US is, is a real open door for, for UK businesses and businesses in the east of England at the moment. So we've got some great examples already with companies like Seajax in Great Yarmouth who are building a vessel over in, over in the States that will be used to install some of this 30 gigawatts of uh, offshore wind off the US, the East Coast alone. So, yeah. so we're working really closely with, with Virginia Beach and, and, and colleagues over in that US market and the DIT to really share our capability and, and build our own uh, sustainability through exports, which is, is so important to the supply chain in, in the East of England. I mean, we, I do really uh, thrilled to have uh, listeners uh, in the United States, uh, particularly in California, but also some on the East Coast. And as well as in Europe and, 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 in, uh, and in India. Um, could you give our listener, uh, wherever they may be found, some idea of how well-placed the, the East of England is for, for renewables and uh, low-carbon technology? Okay, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll go through it very quickly, but to, to start with, let's look at offshore wind, for example. So it's fair to say that the East of England and the Southern North Sea we're pioneers in offshore wind and we are now leaders in offshore wind and as we look forward to the next 20 to 30 years our place in the UK's and the world's offshore wind is is set to expand rapidly so our first significant offshore wind farm was uh, Scroby Sands just off the coast of Great Yarmouth 60 megawatts and I think it was opened in 2000 2004 so so since then we've we've installed a further 4.6 gigawatts of offshore wind, which amounts to over a thousand turbines off our coastline in the close proximity of Norfolk, Suffolk and Essex. And um, as we look forward, that's set to quadruple to, uh, to something like, well, in the first instance, we've got a, a 6.5 gigawatt pipeline of, of projects that have just wow. recently been consented. So projects from Scottish Power, Renewables, 
EA3, uh, EA1 North, EA2 and Vattenfall's Norfolk Vanguard and Boreas projects, but also a number of extension projects from Equinor uh, and RW and SSE that are now kind of in the, in the planning process. So, so offshore wind is significant for us and uh, um, our gas sector is still incredibly important. Backton Gas Terminal handles about 30% of the UK's gas requirements um, from a, a combination of southern North Sea gas fields, but also import and export um, lines from, from Europe. So, so our, our capability in gas is still incredibly important. Onshore renewables, we, are, you know, we have a, a fair share of, our, of onshore renewables in terms of solar and commercial scale solar. And again, an area that has potential for growth when coupled with things like battery storage and also biomass. So we, you know, we, we've been pioneers in many of these technologies. And, uh, and uh, as we move forward, We've got huge new developments in nuclear with Sizewall C, recent decisions on Sizewall C, an existing power plant in Sizewall B that's been generating since the 80s and looks to, to continue to, to help provide that base load of energy. So there's very few other parts of the UK and arguably the world that has that capability and mix of energy um, from both from a, an energy transition perspective, from, from gas through to, to clean energy development and uh, and, and all those uh, important things that it brings from an economic development perspective as well. What you're describing there sounds very much like, um, exactly like, in fact, the dynamic and collaborative energy ecosystem that's sort of contained within the, the Generate Energy prospectus here. Do you want to just unpack that for us a bit more? So we have, we have this, this, this heritage in, in energy, um, which we've talked about in the past is 60 years of, of, of offshore related energy. Um, and within that, this ecosystem has developed this supply chain that, uh, that encompasses engineering businesses. Um, but also what's really interesting is, is a whole load of expertise around uh, research and development and innovation. So organisations in Lowestoft, for example, like CFAS, who have been uh, undertaking marine sciences and um, marine surveys for over, over 100 years now. And, that, and that's really kind of... Uh, really important as in terms of our position in terms of this whole sort of uh, circular economy as well so um but also with with universities like the uea and university of suffolk and, and, and uea's expertise in climate research um and also from a technology perspective sometimes we we uh, we overlook the you know the the expertise down in ad astral park in ipswich that that brings huge amounts of um, um technical expertise and communications uh, that, that all feed into our sector. So, so when you roll it all together, you create a really, really exciting environment for, that offers a range of different careers and, and, and expertise as, uh, as, we, as we sort of move into this new energy era. Yeah, it, it really is um, a virtuous circle, I think, of um, organisations as a feeding, you know, tech uh, organisations feeding in education, uh, academia, research into, you know, climate science. You've got, as you, you mentioned, batteries, uh, you know, the, the, the storage and longevity capability of batteries. So it really is an exciting time and, and an exciting place to be. To, to sort of, you feel that kind of, not to, I'm trying not to use the word tailwind, but, um, but yeah, you, you kind of feel that, that, uh, that sort of, uh, uh, energy behind it. Oh God, I've done it again. Um, now, um, I think 2004 was um, the real dawn of the 
of, of this uh, green growth revolution on our coast. And uh, a lot of young people, um, but not just young people, um, have been inspired to pursue careers in the energy sector. Again, I say not just young people because there's quite a vibrant, I think, offer to particularly ex-service personnel with engineering skills. Um, I've met a couple of, sort of um, you know, ex-RAF, um, for example, uh, with sort of turbine uh, engineering experience. So uh, how can we keep that going and uh, sort of expand, uh, expand that outwards fr from sort of lower stuffed beyond? It's a, it's a good question. So I think, um, you know, when you look at this enormous amount of potential we've got moving forward, you know, one of our key challenges is, you know, how do we provide the people to fill those, um, those highly skilled jobs? And uh, as you mentioned, you know, um, the energy sector has always provided, you know, people in our communities with, with a really uh, high value and sustainable job and uh, uh, opportunities and, and our local colleges um, have really picked up the baton with that and, and provided programs working with organizations like eager and skills for energy to really create the right provision to ensure that people have a pathway into the sector so not just young people as you mentioned you know we've worked really closely with the ex-military uh, and and um, and those those people transitioning from a career in the military who bring not just the technical skills but the kind of mindset and the behavioral skills that are really important for, yeah. for our sector as well so um you know it's highly safety conscious it's uh, highly organized and and highly disciplined and all those skill sets that, that the military bring are really important in the energy sector so we've worked on programs that that help to um to kind of transfer those skill sets, which sometimes need a bit of interpretation between a, perhaps a military environment mm -hmm. um, to an engineering environment. Um, yeah. and, and those skills in mechanical, electrical, instrumentation and control, process engineering, they're all there. Mm -hmm. And they just need a little bit of tweaking and sometimes a little bit of intervention from our, 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 our really excellent skills providers in the region to then set these people into, yeah. into long lasting careers as they move out of the, out of the military also other sectors as well so uh, as we you know transition from uh, you know fossil fuel based economy and energy system um, those people have very similar skills that that can uh, that can then move into clean energy and if we we haven't talked about hydrogen yet but you know hydrogen is a process um, yeah. engineering technology so it relies on a lot of instrumentation and control and process engineering and again the skill sets we have in 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 our gas sector and uh, our food manufacturing sectors and and those areas are all ripe for work in alternative and green fuels as we move through yeah it was rattling through my instagram before i get there so i'm gonna hang on a minute so east anglia one has come first in a, a super array of up to six projects uh, that could be built over the next two decades uh, in the East Anglian zone. Could you flesh out for us what that will look like once it's up and running in terms of the benefits, you know, that will accrue locally, nationally, globally? Yeah, so if we look at uh, East Anglia 1 uh, as an example, that's um, over 100 turbines. I think it's something like 714 megawatts of power and, and indeed is one of the, the first big projects uh, mega projects off our off our coastline, along with a number of others, actually. But um, but if you look at the impact of something like EA1 on Great Yarmouth and Lowestoft, 
it's arguably significant in the last, you know, um, their 25 million pound O&M base, operations and maintenance base in Lowestoft is, a, is a, an example of the jobs and the, the investment that, that these projects bring to our region, not just from a construction point of view, you know, much of the construction was, was from the port of Great Yarmouth, um, which has the facilities and the deep water and the, and the capability to, to install a lot of this offshore wind, uh, but also Lowestoft and, and um, um, from an operations and maintenance point of view. So, so that's a kind of an indicator of what's to come, you know, in terms of the future. So the idea with uh, projects like EA3, which is, is now, now commencing, is you have a pipeline, a long pipeline, which creates sustainability and creates yeah. um, you know, longevity in terms of not just operations and maintenance, because we're, we're, we're a great region for operations and maintenance, but also for construction and pre-assembly and, um, and, and those other tasks that require lots of, lots of people and lots of skills in, in, in short bursts. But when you chunk together projects, you create that long-term pipeline, which gives investors confidence in the yeah, area as well. So confidence list. in our yeah. area, you know, uh, to see it as a viable investment location, um, to help employ people from our, our, our local area, to invest in our infrastructure, and to really create those kind of long-term sustainable employment opportunities that as economic development practitioners, we, we get really excited about, you know, yeah, we, yeah, we really exactly. want to see. You know, <laughs> so. uh, yeah, I mean, you, you bring me on brilliantly to, my, to, to one of my next questions, which is, and I, I, I lift, nobody can see me do this, obviously, but uh, Lowestoft Eastern Energy Facility and Power Park, uh, Lowestoft Eastern Energy Facility, LEAF. Yeah. And I, I, I sort of read through that um, as, as I was prepping for this, and Associated British Ports announcing uh, in 20, last year was announcing a, a sort of five-year plan for this 25 million pound investment, investment in rail here, investment in the key here. What excites me about that, if excited isn't too strong a word, is um, the the potential to raise skill levels and aspirations in this 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 part of the world. Uh, what? particularly excites you and excites Generate and Suffolk County Council, I suppose, about the possibilities coming off investments like LEAF. And what, 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 perhaps if you just want to give a, a brief, better picture than I already have about what LEAF is. And if you can remember that, start the question, the question better <laughs> than I am. Yeah, so uh, I suppose LEAF, Leaf is one of, one of the, probably a range of really exciting initiatives um, that, are, that generate a working with and, and promoting to an international audience and uh, the Lowestoft Eastern Energy Facility LEAF will, will bring a whole new uh, capability to the region from a marine logistics perspective. Um, as with many industries, as things get bigger and scale up, they need a different approach and, and one of the things that LEAF will have is um, uh, berths for what we call service operations vessels which are much larger than traditional crew transfer vessels which may operate on a daily basis so SOVs will operate on a on a perhaps a two-week rotation we'll have technicians on board and, and will be restocked um, coming into port a lot less often but require much more space and, and facilities to maintain so projects like LEAF will help facilitate that and um, and again you mentioned about um, 
some of those other projects, we've also got projects in Great Yarmouth, the operations and maintenance campus as well, and, and enhancements yes. to, to the outer harbour. So, so Generate is very much a, a, a you know, a, a partnership organisation, and, and and we're there to promote the, the multiple projects, how we can how we can welcome development and inward investment to our area. And one of the sort of our key messages, really, to government is is you know, we completely understand the levelling up agenda, and um, but we also need our fair share of that levelling up on the eastern coast in, in Norfolk and Suffolk. You know, some of our communities will really benefit from some of those clean energy opportunities, and yeah. uh, and projects like Leaf are are very welcome. And um, and and alongside Leaf, we've got industrial areas that we've allocated to, to clean energy development. So Power Park, as you mentioned earlier, uh, is East Suffolk Council's um, plans to really uh, reinforce that supply chain capability in our region. And um, buildings like Orbis Energy are, are, are kind of a forefront to, to Power Park and were, were established for that very reason, to attract um, or provide a location for businesses who needed to set up in the region with a easy in Mm. easy lease, uh, flexible arrangements, so they can move in uh, in fairly quick order. And when they've outgrown Orbis Energy, they can move to a, you know, a building in, uh, in Power Park or in, in the O&M campus in Great Yarmouth and, and really maintain those, uh, those opportunities and maintain those, those jobs in, in the area. Yeah. You mentioned earlier about obviously the, the, the capability of more and bigger ships, and that means more people either on the ships or servicing the ships when they come in or pre construction phases. That means more people around the town. That means more money going into shops and restaurants and cafes and, and, you know, and that slowly and surely, you know, when, when the cafes, for example, we have don't here, don't, you know, they need more cafes, more cafes, there's more opportunities, blah, 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 and outward and outward and outward and outward, um, which is, which is uh, really, a really encouraging thing. You mentioned, and I'm, I, I slightly hesitate to do this because it's I ask this question because it's not. It's it's not. <laughs> it's generally I like to to, uh, to 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 maintain an air of um, implacable, relentless optimism. But that pipeline of projects. To, to what extent is that now baked in and is 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 going forward? And to what extent can we protect it? I suppose I'm saying. From uh, the vicissitudes of um, policymakers at the sort of the t towards the top end of the chain, <laughs> um, I think whatever the administration looks like and whatever direction it travels, uh, there's been a, a, a stark realization that uh, energy security is equally as important as um, uh, clean energy development. And I suppose what what some of the developments we're talking about with, with offshore wind and with, uh, with other clean energy technologies is it does bring a level of energy security um, and energy sovereignty that, yeah. that perhaps we haven't seen in, uh, uh, in the last sort of 50 years. So, so these projects are incredibly well advanced and many are under construction and, and will be under construction in, in, the, in the, the coming months and years. And they provide a really reliable source of green energy um, to the UK. So these are opportunities that are, that are too good to pass up for the UK government in terms of securing that energy supply and, and continuing our journey to, to less reliance on, on, on fossil fuels from other parts of the, 
of the world. Yeah. I mean, uh, energy security, again, you, 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 you teed me up nicely there uh, to talk about the British energy security strategy and its ambition to, to deliver uh, 50 gigawatts uh, of offshore wind by 2030, including five gigawatts of floating wind. Now, first of all, floating wind. I'm just really interested, how does that work? <laughs> So, so again, you know, I mean, it's obviously floats, but you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, if you look at what what offshore wind in the UK has done primarily to date is what we call sort of fixed bottom foundation based mm. um, structures. So they they're either piled into the ground on a, on a, a single monopile, or um, in deeper waters, um, they're used. Uh, they're fixed to a, a jacket type system that you might see in similar to to the oil and gas sector. Um, which is makes good sense in, in, a, in a region like the Southern North Sea, which is comparatively shallow to perhaps some other parts of the UK. So when you get into deeper waters, those those technologies become less effective, and um, mm -hmm. uh, and so technologies around floating um, systems become more attractive. So again, you know, the UK has got huge amounts of experience in structures in. Uh, that float in the water and, and gravity-based type things in, in, in from the oil and gas sector. So there's a real opportunity with floating wind um, throughout the UK. And, and, and in effect, the, the technology above the, the, the structure is very similar. So it's going to use very similar turbines and, um, and equipment and, and generating equipment. But when it comes to the structures that are, that are being built, they need to be you know, fairly robust and anchored and, and well maintained to to, to work in that, those harsher environments, those deeper, deeper seas. But the beauty of them is, is that from a, a maintenance point of view and a, a, a mobility point of view, they, they can be moved and brought into to shore for, for repair and, and upgrade and, and things. So, so we have the technologies to do that. You know, that this is nothing new, but it's, it's, at the moment it's a little bit more expensive because it's much like offshore wind fixed fixed bottom offshore wind was perhaps 20 years ago where you know the technologies were still being sort of finessed and uh, yeah. but but we've seen a rapid decline in the cost of offshore wind um, over that 20 year period and, and likewise you will see the same with with uh, with floating offshore wind probably from around 2030 onwards so uh, so what generates role the east of england's role going to be in sort of pushing for it for a very healthy slug of that 50 uh, gigawatt so we've already got quite a lot of it yep. on our on our doorstep and planned in our doorstep. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, the 4.6 is already there and generating on a day like today. Uh, we've got this sort of pipeline of already consented wind, which is something like 6.5, 6.7 gigawatts, and these extension projects. So so there's already we will play a significant role in that. And and it, like I mentioned, it's it's cost effective and it's it's the planning processes are, are well down the road, so so we will get a, a fairly significant share of that offshore wind growth in in off the coastlines of Norfolk, Suffolk, and Essex. Um, and again, you know, our supply chain is wide and varied, so it will work in other regions as well. You know, it can work in it can work with the Humber, it can work with the Northeast, it can work with with Scotland. We've got that you know long term relationship with other regions where. We can bring together supply chains and we can really um, support that. Um, and then when we, we touched on earlier, the export market, you know, that whole export market, um, offshore wind is widely seen as a, as a, as a global opportunity um, for businesses um, 
in our region and, and we'll really work with those to bring those opportunities to our supply chain for, from a generate perspective. Yeah, uh, over at Orbis Energy, we've got a, a company here called 4C Offshore who do market intelligence for offshore yes. wind just upstairs. And uh, they working with us to identify those sort of three key regions. And you know, we, we know that they're the US market, we know that it's other parts of Europe, but also Southeast Asia and, and opportunities over there. So, so many of our companies are, uh, are already doing work over there, but there's a, there's a whole lot more to come. So. Yeah, I mean, I'm a, a, a firm believer um, that when other parts of, uh, particularly you know, the UK and the, 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 this region, but also wide, wider across the UK, get investment, that it's it's not a defeat; it's an opportunity. So, and, and you think so you're highlighting how that expertise is going out from this region to to, to, to support others, uh, which is great. Um, talk to me about hydrogen because. Um, uh, the, the, the sole, the, the very little I've um, come across about hydrogen is, I, I thought, you know, I, I thought I was, I was learning something new when I found out this morning that there, there were three colours of hydrogen. Actually, you're telling me they're actually a, like a virtual page chart, um, you know, of, of hydrogen, or there's nowhere you can go to to get, you know, mix your own hydrogen, <laughs> you know, I'd like it this colour, please, you know, uh, teal. Um, and um, the government's just opened... Um, a consultation process on transport storage of hydrogen. Um, George Freeman MP, um, both before and during his time as science minister, an advocate of hydrogen. And so, how do we sort of turn all this uh, into, you know, a, a firm strategy? I know Sizewell is going to have hydrogen buses during its construct construction phase. So again, hydrogen brings uh, a new dimension to to our energy system. Um, not just in, in, in our region, but, but throughout the UK and, and globally indeed. And um, our role in that is going to be, you know, is, is really interesting because as, as you mentioned, there's many different forms of hydrogen and uh, traditionally it's what we call grey hydrogen, which has been produced through, through, through gas and is, is quite carbon intensive and uh, a shift away from production of grey hydrogen into uh, green hydrogen, which is from... Uh, as the name would suggest, green and renewable energy sources. Mm -hmm. um, and again, blue hydrogen, which uh, some debate around at the moment in terms of production from gas and sequestration of the, the carbon that's produced and, and opportunities there. Uh, but very much a, a focus on, on green hydrogen. And as you mentioned with Sizewell, um, opportunities to produce hydrogen from the, uh, the high temperatures produced at uh, within a, a nuclear power station. So again, you know, real huge opportunities in Norfolk and Suffolk around um, transport and, and those hard to decarbonise areas. So if you can't electrify it, you can perhaps consider hydrogen for um, heavy goods vehicles, for agricultural machineries, yeah. for, for transport, heavy transport, but also for marine and, and shipping. So uh, uh, there's been some really exciting announcements from Scottish Power recently about uh, the exploration of a, a hydrogen plant in Felixstowe, uh, a green really? hydrogen plant in Felixstowe, mm -hmm. which will um, produce significant amounts of green hydrogen. Um, there's a project in Lowestoft, which is, is currently going through the, the Net Zero Hydrogen Fund from a company called Conrad Energy, who are looking to build um, 
a hydrogen electrolyzer within their flexible generation site. So here's an opportunity to, to reduce reliance on, on, on gas and blend with hydrogen, but also look at other use cases. So it might be that um, perhaps local authorities could utilize some of that hydrogen to power refuse vehicles or gritting lorries or uh, local bus companies might want to use hydrogen, uh, green hydrogen to power their, 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 their vehicles. Um, and again, working with organisations like Hydrogen East, um, who are really exploring from a research perspective that, that interconnectivity and how we can um, realise those, those sort of sometimes disparate opportunities around hydrogen and coalescing them into a coherent strategy for our region are, are really exciting. And, and again, you know, the technologies and the capabilities of our, our businesses and people within, within, um, within the region, are, we're well positioned to provide a different offer to hydrogen compared to perhaps what an, a more industrialised area like the Humber might, where we're looking at high energy yeah. users. So our, our, our hydrogen story will be slightly different, but nevertheless very compelling as we move forward. The government is looking at reducing consent time for, for, for wind, uh, offshore wind, uh, from uh, that's currently up to four years down to one year. If successful, what do you see the impact of that being on the industry? I mean, I think it provides certainty for, for developers and it provides a, you know, um, confidence to their their stakeholders that investment in 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 the uk is um is likely to happen uh, in reasonable time scales and, and as, as you mentioned we've seen planning takes significant time these are, yeah. these are hugely complex projects you know it's, it's we mustn't underestimate how um how complex they are so they do take time but but that process certainly needs to be quicker if we want to hit those ambitions for for 50 gigawatts by, uh, by, of offshore wind by 2030, which is, is, is a real stretching target. So, so the planning process does need to be swift and it needs to be um, uh, and quick and efficient. So, uh, and also, you know, we need more people to help with those planning consents. And, and, and again, you know, that there's areas of shortages there that, that the industry's picking up where, where we can build capability. There's a, a project uh, in Swaffham Prior in Cambridgeshire um, looking at... Uh, community district heating, uh, which is basically a village has a, a, a power station, effectively, that um, or, or it's sort of centralised boiler. I suppose is a better uh, analogy that uh, the, the water leaves the boiler at about seventy five degrees centigrade and returns at seventy three, having gone round, you know, and heated the water in all the all the houses in the village. Is generate and uh, is, is the industry looking at sort of community scale um, renewable projects where uh, local people can invest in their own sort of technology and, and power themselves locally? Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that those projects will form part of that kind of new energy mix um, and, um, and generate's role really is, is to to highlight and identify those opportunities. But we work with a number of stakeholders. So, you know, we work closely with, with people like the Greater Southeast Energy Hub who are really looking to support community organisations and see how they can build that, that, those opportunities for, for some of those places. So, so yeah, so we're, we're very much looking at it from a, an inward investment point of view. Um, but when you start to build that level of 
scale a number of projects, then you create a really tangible opportunity for people so, and, yeah. and businesses. So, so you know, the odd one, two or three projects here and there aren't really enough to to stimulate people to perhaps consider locating their business here. So, but when you start to scale them up and bring uh, multiple projects to the to the table, then it mm -hmm. becomes a little bit more exciting. So. So generate will support in those those areas where you know where where those sort of growth areas. So we talk about solar, don't we, and talk mm -hmm. about commercial scale solar, but also um, you know roof based solar as well. When, when those projects ramp up to enough that, that create a real tangible opportunity, then you know that that becomes interesting to 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 the wider uh, investment community as well. Yeah. We are just under a week away from the EGA uh, East of England Energy Groups. Uh, reception at the House of Commons, a, a building I am not unfamiliar with. Um, uh, what message will you be taking? And I, I accept this may be basically re re repeating something you've been saying for the past, uh, well, uh, you know, some little while now. But what message will you be taking to the politicians? And what mes message would you have for those we perhaps need to reach out to a bit more to convince them, to, to show them the benefits of, uh, of, of this part of the world and renewable energy? So, so the overarching message is to, to Westminster uh, is that here is a region, the east of England, that will be in the next 10 years producing up to a third of the UK's electricity uh, requirement from our region through a range of forms of energy. And we want the government's support and ongoing support to help our communities to benefit from that opportunity and recognise the importance of the region uh, in terms of the UK's energy, wider energy system. So that's quite a clear message, quite a powerful message. Mm. And within it, there's a load of other stuff to unpack in terms of uh, investment for our infrastructure, um, continued investment to look at skills and how we can uh, bring local people uh, into those, um, those opportunities and, and realise those opportunities on our doorstep. So, so there are key messages, and yeah. we're quite excited about going down there as as a new administration is is, yeah, is rolling great out. Yeah, timing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think one of my very very oldest sores I like to well saw is um, you know the 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 importance of making it an offer to government and not an ask to government. Mm. And what I what what an offer basically the offer is colossal. The offer is amazing and it is incredibly strong. Uh, you're, you're going down there, and I wish I could come too, but um, uh, you're going down there with an incredibly strong hand to play to government and saying, what a, what a persuasive, uh, you know, detailed case to make. And um, all power to you, I, 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 I must say. And uh, I, I know that you guys are going to really bring it home for the Easter Union, as you are uh, every day here. So, Ian Pease, thank you ever so much. For your time today it's it's great to be here and learn about more about what you've been doing so thank you very much it's been great to meet you mike thanks thank very you. much i'm very grateful to ian for his time now you don't sit in many boardrooms where you can see the waves crashing against the shore right outside the window but you can at orbis energy to find out more go to generate-energy.co.uk And now, life is like a box of chocolates, said Forrest Gump. Uh, specifically, Quality Street. And what quality is found down your local high street? 
Does it have a crunchy coating but a soft center? Is it liberally sprinkled with nuts and drizzled with sticky goodness? Crucially, is there a rich, hidden layer underneath? From Woodbridge to Wells Next the Sea, let's unwrap this edition of... Crowd Sorcery. Yes, Crowd Sorcery. Let's continue to torture the chocolate box metaphor. Whether a Loddon lollipop, a Lavenham lavender, or even a toffee Peterborough penny. Let's see where the best high street nestles. What? What? I first saw St Peter Street in Ipswich whilst recording for Eastern Promise. Now, it has an amazing feel to it, with no chains to be seen, and I'm very keen to get back there and visit it again. I also love the high street in Sheringham. Lots of posh new cafes, alongside classic ice cream and donut parlours, with the occasional chip shop. Don't forget the discount book and jigsaw centre, and Starling's Toy Shop, out of which my wife Sally has had to drag me, uh, uh, my daughter, yes, my daughter, her, on many an occasion. Coincidentally, you can also find a branch of Starling's on the High Street in Holt, a town centre that's a particular favourite of Ros Bird, CEO of Anglia Innovation Partnership. Ros also declares St John Street in Bury St Edmunds, a further favourite, and there is lots of support for that. Indeed, Richard Powell OBE, environmental and charity advisor and independent chair, concurs with Bury St Edmunds and says, I also like Halesworth, great little market town and a good art centre as well. He continues, there's Southwold for people watching and is awesome but also good for pies and takeaway lunch provisions and boiled sweets. Pies. Mm. Richard, hailing from the metropolitan borough of Wigan, as I do, you have said the magic word. I shall hie me to Southwold at the double. Uh, Suffolk's High Street proving very popular this week, with 2am problem solver and innovation coach Neil Griffin recommending Woodbridge. Lots of new independent shops, plus new restaurants that have opened. Parking is also cheap too, which really helps. Great bakeries with two magpies and honey and harveys. A further vote for Halesworth comes from Tom Abbott of Green Easy. So it seems clear that Suffolk and North Norfolk are the places to be for a top-notch quality high street. Go on, have an explore and tell them that Eastern Promise sent you. So that's it for episode 43 of Eastern Promise. I'm taking a two-week break to refresh renew and to cover Sink the City in Norwich next week, as well as to interview Cambridge MP Daniel Zeichner. However, like Douglas MacArthur, I shall return on the 1st of December, to be exact, in the company of Urban XR founder and all-round lovely chap James Lee Burgess. We'll be touring the award-winning Digitech factory at City College Norwich, and I have a go at augmented reality. Keep your eardrums ready for that one. My thanks to Ian Pease and all the team at Generate for making me feel so welcome. Thank you too to everyone who submitted press releases to the Eastern Promise News Desk of Newsiness. Thank you as ever to Engineer 49, Pharaoh of the Fader, Viscount of Volume, King of the Cable. But thank you most of all to you for listening. I truly am delighted to have your company. I'll be back in two weeks' time but until then, bye for now.
What? What?